Hey guys, it's Sabby Sabs, and I have a very special guest with me today. His name is Jay. He's a progressive, and he is the host of the podcast, The Populist Voice. Welcome, Jay. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Jay, so um, can you tell everyone just a little bit about your background and why you decided to become progressive? Sure. Um, so a little bit about my background. Um, I grew up in Compton, LA. So we were either, you know, moving around either in the city of Compton or LA. Um, and during a time where uh, at the height of, of gang violence, the height of cocaine uh, uh, trafficking. So we're talking the mid eighties, Reagan time. I grew up during that era, so in LA. So that kind of shaped um, that experience growing up and all the things that happened to oppressed people uh, uh, affected me and shaped you know my view on the world. And then, <clears throat> My two parents are very influential. I get from my mom, her dedication, the, the oh, you're gonna tell me I can't do it, then I'm gonna do it just because you told me. That sort of uh, determination I get from my mom. And from my dad, he was the political one. Uh, so politics definitely came from my dad's side. Uh, and that sort of put me on a, 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 a road to where I was gonna become a progressive just off of the thinking I got in my household. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how, um, that's sort of my beginning um, and what sort of led me more to start leaning progressive in my adult years was um, just living through oppression, just living through uh, oppression and living seeing with my own eyes oppression and and separate topic but in, in the, that's that's a topic that black community we don't talk in terms of oppression we do talk about oppression but we don't use we don't have the understanding that what's happening to us the reason our schools are underfunded is oppression like so um so that's those were my uh, influences and then seeing everything happening happening in the world, seeing what's happening to oppressed people. Then Bernie Sanders came along and kind of uh, crystallized what I was thinking in 2015, 16, and brings me here today. Awesome. So you have a podcast called The Populist Voice. Um, so why did you decide to start your own podcast? And can you tell everybody a little bit about your podcast? Yes, yeah, so the populist voice, um, so I didn't go, a year ago, I didn't think I was gonna be, you know, hosting a political show. I, I didn't, that wasn't on my radar. Um, my background is in, in a creative field, so uh, film production. So, um, you know, I didn't have my eyes on this at all always been a political person. And then just the year that we had in 2020, I just felt like, hey, it's a pandemic. I need a way to participate digitally in, uh, in the struggle. 
of oppressed people by speaking out the truth. And um, I wanted to be uh, a voice in uh, the revolution. Um, I felt like I could articulate what other people or what a, a good amount of people was uh, thinking and feeling and going through. And um, something my mom always told me was that I was gonna be a preacher when I was little. She was like, you're gonna be a preacher. It's just, I feel like that's what I'm doing but I'm preaching a different gospel than um, you would as normally assume. Uh, and that's sort of what what's my thinking around bringing together uh, the populist voice. Awesome. Yeah, I, I really like it. Um, also leads me to another question. Uh, recently, you had a segment on your podcast titled the next leader of the left movement cannot be a politician. And I've, I've already listened to this. Um, and watched it on YouTube and I thought it was really good. And I think people really need to hear this. So could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the idea, um, I, I forget where it came from. Most likely it came from somewhere on, on Twitter where, or just the, the discourse, the conversation in the leftist community. I, I know we, we use progressive too, but I'm gonna use leftist community. Um, the discourse, uh, the discourse on Twitter um, um, is was getting out of out of hand. So um, I saw a tweet where somebody was describing a person that they admire, and it was a politician. And it just struck me that the way people view politicians was more like a celebrity than a public servant. And um, that kind of spurred the idea of a politician cannot be the leader of a leftist movement. And that's sort of how I, I got the idea of like, yeah, this, this is not a good idea to have. And then I just thought of Bernie Sanders and all the pitfalls he had. And, um, and then I came up with the uh, six reasons why uh, a, a politician should not be the leader of a leftist movement. Yeah, um, I know one of the things that you mentioned, and I've talked about this with my friends, like after Bernie like dropped out of the race, is that once he like dropped out, it was like, okay, who's going to lead this now? Right, right, right. That's that's exactly uh, what happened, and it was just like a vacuum, and everybody just kind of scattered out, doing to do their own thing in the same struggle. Um, and the movement needs a person or maybe a group of people who's saying the things, hey, let's all move this way. Let's all move that way. And that's kind of what Bernie uh, was doing. The problem was it was centered around a campaign and an election. And those, that fact kind of illustrates some of the, the reasons why politicians should not be uh, a, le uh, a part of a leftist movement. So, so for example, one of the reasons is a politician is um, has their allegiance to their party. So, what happened with Bernie Sanders, for example? Um, you know, Obama came in, put his arm around him, and said, "Hey, come on, Bernie, be a team guy." Bernie Sanders, at that moment when he decided to drop out, he decided to say, "Hey, my allegiance 
or the priority is the party, yep. not the movement. I mean, because of all times to drop out of a race, it should not be during a pandemic, especially when you're the leader of a movement where you're this close to really reaching the White House or really affecting change at least. And, um, and you don't do that, so. Mm -hmm. I also think too, like when we look at like the civil rights movement, oh. you know, Dr. King wasn't a politician. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> none, none, none of the movements, none of the revolutions, you, I mean, just read history. None of them were ran, were ran by uh, uh, politicians. Um, because of one the reason I just mentioned how their their allegiance is to um, their party. Um, another reason is movement should not be centered around elections. Movement should not be centered around electing a singular person. Electing uh, you know progressives and leftists is a strategy, but that is not the main course. That is a spoke in the wheel that is not the wheel, the movement should be the wheel and connecting a movement to a politician's means we're on their time schedule. So instead of camp, you know, instead of rallying for $15 an hour, we have to go for a rally to put him in office. Like that's not what the movement should be used for. Um, and then there's, a, there's another reason uh, uh, that I mentioned, which is um, being, attach if you're a politician you are by by definition attached to a party and being attached to a party means you're going to limit your reach to reach other people not a part of the party so it doesn't matter like you could be a person who believes everything bernie says you can believe in medicare for all you can believe in you know um, a, a green new deal you can believe in a living wage but because he's attached to the Democratic Party, there are certain segment of people who simply will not go over to that movement, not because of the beliefs or the policies, but because he's attached to the Democratic Party. So that limit is another reason we should not have a, a politician as the leader of a leftist movement. But it, again, it doesn't mean we do not help progressive people get elected. It's not the same thing. Right. Um, another thing I noticed, too, is that like once Bernie stepped down, especially as we got closer to Biden and Trump, like being um, elected, mm -hmm. it was like I felt like the progressive movement has started to split. And I think you've probably seen some of this on Twitter, too. Absolutely. Like there was some people on the side of like force the vote, some people on the other side. And it's like it, this big di divide now, even though I know people say, well, Twitter isn't real, but even like in real life, just talking to people, like there's like this big divide. And it just seems like part of it is because nobody is leading this anymore. Like people have started going in different directions. I've right. noticed like since Biden has been elected, some of the commentators, some of the progressive commentators, they're not even talking about this anymore. I mean, you preaching to the choir because I've said this over and over online. I don't know what's happening to our progressive media. It was like the last few months of the campaigning, they decided to swallow their, their tongue about Joe Biden when they were talking about him and critiquing him on a daily basis during the Bernie, when Bernie Sanders was in the race. And then afterwards, oh, oh, just get him in office and then, you know, we'll do the work. And it's like, nothing has changed. It's like, when are you gonna start, you know, getting back in the arena and, and, and 
critiquing this guy and it, and it, and it just has, it hasn't happened and it's, it's sad to see. But I think it illustrates a larger point is that we're seeing a changing of the guard. We're seeing a changing of going from the old, uh, old progressive to the new leftists. Um, what was progressive during the Obama years is not the progressive today. And also what's becoming considered leftist, progressive, they're interchangeable to me, but leftist is what's becoming more and more part of the ingredients that makes you a leftist is strategy. That, that's becoming more and more part of what makes you um, a leftist. It's like this, it's like we're in wartime, pandemic, depression, we can't be doing the same things to make, to affect change. We can't say we're just gonna elect progressives. You know how long it's gonna take to elect progressives to make any sort of real change? We're talking decades. People don't have that time. Like it's a pandemic and it's no sense of urgency with the old progressive. I think that's it. It's no, or the sense of urgency is too low. I'm not gonna say it's no sense of urgency. I can't make that determination, but it's like the old urgency is here. The new urgency is here. And this is where that chasm is, is starting, beginning to show. And one last point about that is Bernie Sanders needs to be given more credit for what he did because either we're seeing the splitting of the left or either we're seeing these are people that Bernie Sanders brought together that was never together. Mm -hmm. We were never together. And Bernie Sanders brought us together. And now that he's gone, it's like, now the differences are bigger and it's now it's a lot of more finger pointing. Um, so it could be a mixture of both. It could be old, old guard, new guard. It could be the whole thing that we've never been a cohesive group. It's just that Bernie made it seem that way. Yeah, so one of the things I noticed, like I went to Bernie's rally here in Boston and it was like over 10,000 people. It was huge, huge. Thank goodness it was outdoors. But um, <clears throat> we got there really early because we figured it would be crowded, but not that many people. And one of the things I noticed, and this is coming up a lot like in the progressive movement too, is that number one, I was few, one of few African-Americans there, which I thought was ridiculous considering it was over 10,000 people. So that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing is when I do talk to like friends and colleagues of mine, a thing that continues to come up is that why are we not talking about Black issues like in the progressive movement? And I've, I've vented about this numerous times. I feel like more commentators could talk about this. And that's actually part of the reason why I decided to do this. To interview people is to, to introduce people that other people may not know of that are working on these issues and are passionate about these issues, or they know of them, but they didn't know that they're working on this stuff. So I recently interviewed um, Marianne Williamson about reparations. So that was a hot topic, like during um, when Bernie was running and um, during the primaries. And I noticed like even some of the commentators, they were just like, well, you know, I don't really, I don't really agree with reparations. And I'm like, no, this is exactly why we have such a hard time getting more African-Americans to be a part of the progressive movement. I, well, th this is what I say to this. I've had this discussion also is that what Black leftists know or are realizing is that our white brothers and sisters or our non-Black brothers and sisters in the movement 
they're a lot better than the people who are not in the movement, but they still have some ways to go. Mm -hmm. They still have some ways to go. Um, we have we have to step back and take and understand that conditioning doesn't stop with melanin. Like white people are also conditioned too. And as much as they want to try to break out of that, consciously try to break any sort of racial um, conditioning, there's still a gap in understanding about that. Because to me, reparations is a no-brainer. Like this, this is a no-brainer, it's, it's, it's reparation. You built the country, we built the country, pay us the money. Oh, we, we wasn't the ones, you didn't pay our ancestors. If they paid our ancestors, that money would have been uh, uh, given down generation to generation to us. So um, the country owes us the reparations, not individual white people, not the president, not the Congress, the country owes, owes black people uh, uh, reparations. Yeah, no, I 100% I, I agree. Um, I wanted I think to add that that was one thing about Bernie Sanders, I thought he dropped a ball in his campaign is that um, reparations have like Bernie's, what the progressive movement has got to understand, this is, this is a, a, a very important point is that there's a certain segment of black people, if you're not talking in black language, you're not gonna get them. So yeah, Medicare for all is, uh, does affect black people a lot. I mean, that's, that's a racial issue, yes. But there's a certain segment of people, unless you're saying the words black people, unless you're saying black issues, they, you can, they can agree with all the other stuff that you're saying, because they, they need to understand black people have been told this stuff for hundreds of years. So you, you can't just, you know what I mean? You can't just tell us, like we wanna see, we wanna see the action. So that was something I thought Bernie Sanders dropped. He didn't have a reparations plan. He didn't speak in black talk, black speech as to say, not black talk, but black speech. Um, and I think that was the reason why he, he, he didn't do very well in the South. Like my family's from the South, from dad's from West Virginia, mom's from uh, Louisiana. And you have to talk in terms of, of black issues or you're just not gonna get the majority of black people. And this is something that the Democrats sort of understand, but they do it in a way of virtue signaling, you know? It's the, it's the you know, naming a street Martin Luther King instead of funding the schools. You get what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. like, that'll get you, oh, the Democrats, we changed, they got our school named Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary. And that's where I went in Compton, Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary. But the school is severely underfunded. Mm -hmm. How about you take the name of the school back and fund the school. You, you get what I'm saying? So Democrats, they're feeling that that chasm, I, I'm getting off the topic, but they're feeling that chasm, um, um, but through by way of virtual signaling, if that, if that makes sense. I hope I'm not mm -hmm. uh, going off topic, sorry. Yeah, no, no, very much. Um, I think that, I know for me throughout this election, 
um, I've really tried to basically convince people, <laughs> like black people, that um, no, like Bernie, Bernie is the way to go here. Like he has the platform that's actually going to benefit African Americans. But um, they weren't really seeing that. You know, media was a big part of that. But another thing that was brought up to me was represent representation. They don't see a lot of black people like in the progressive movement, mm -hmm. and like. I have to agree and I have to agree with that a little bit because I do feel like we could have way more, way more come over to this side. And I was wondering, like, what do you think like we could do to increase that? It's it's what I said about Bernie Sanders, Bridget, Bernie Sanders, but just on a larger scale. And some progressives are starting to include reparations in their demands for things. But um, in order to get more black people, more black folks, um, particularly probably um, not young black, but the middle, the, the 30 to 45, you have to speak in terms of black speech. You have to talk about reparations. You have to talk about policing. So 2020 kind of brought policing to the forefront, which is, has been a big, big uh, black, black issue, which is why you're seeing a little bit more black progressives come on board is because of, I believe it's because of that particular um, issue. So hopefully the progressive movement is learning that you, we need, if you want black leftists, cause they're there, they have the beliefs in the policies, but they're just not coming along cause you're not talking to them. You need to talk to the end of, it's like these people that's been marginalized, you can't use generic language. You have to use specific language to those people that has been marginalized. Otherwise you're continuing, is it marginalization? Is that a word? You're continuing them being marginalized. You have to use the language. When we're talking about disabilities, you have to use that language. You're talking about trans people. You have to use that. You have to use the language. You can't just talk in general terms that everybody, you, you can't do that. You have to target your, your information similar to what he did with the Latino community. Look what he did. I mean, he went to their communities. He's talking to them. He's having taco stands. He's talking to them in Spanish. Like that's what you have to do. But for on the black on uh, black folks level, on the black folks tier, that's what needs to happen for the progressive movement. Agreed. All right, Jay. So I have one more question for you. Sure. Um, so I saw today you're thinking about starting another podcast. Yes. Uh, I'm. I'm so. <laughs> So like when I was talking about press, uh, uh, the populist voice being my show, the original, original idea was it for it to be a network and it's different podcasts on the same channel. And now I'm just rolling that out. Um, so there's, so look for the populist voice. I'm adding four new shows that are hosted by other people. And then I'm adding one new show that, that will be hosted by me, which is uh, free Black America podcast. Um, and that's just going to focus on what kind of we're talking about, bringing to light Black leftists, showing people, putting Black faces to the leftist movement is what basically I want to do, giving the Black uh, perspective, because even in the leftist movement, there are differences between what Black people, Black leftists believe versus other uh, leftists. Just just shining a light on on that. And that's what that podcast is going to be doing. 
and I'm excited. I have I have on my second episode. I have I have this community activist guy who who um, um, has come up with ten demands. You may have heard it. Ten demands for justice. Mm -hmm. um, just talking about police reform, and so I'm excited about that particular guest for my personal reasons with pers you know police shootings in my personal life. So that is very important to me, and I'm excited about that new podcast. Awesome. All right, everyone, I'll be sure to put the link to Jay's podcast in the description below. Jay, thank you so much for coming out today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. You can watch the video of this podcast at Sabby Sab's channel on YouTube.